Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we are joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, their families, and the community. We'll also be discussing issues in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Check out our daily articles on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. This police sergeant was shot in a totally unprovoked ambush attack. He's here to talk about the shooting, his recovery afterwards, and how it inspired him to help injured first responders and those injured by violence throughout the community. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at helpforourheroes.com. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those that suffer from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Their program features first responders and veterans helping first responders and veterans. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. Calling us from the great state of Missouri, Sergeant Charles Lowe on the phone. Sergeant Lowe, thanks so much for joining us on the Law Enforcement Day Show. Very much appreciated. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. I definitely appreciate it. This has been something that's been in the works for a while. We had his wife on a show a while ago. By the way, if you haven't heard that episode, look for the one with Kelly Lowe, a very powerful woman uh, doing some great things. And she said, you got to talk to my husband. And we've been trying to make this happen for a couple months, to be honest with you. So I'm glad we finally got this opportunity nailed down. Yes, sir. Me too. A lot of good things are happening. So I'm just excited about everything that's been happening. Well, you're a career law enforcement officer. You've been doing this for quite a while, haven't you? Yes. Actually, uh, in February of this year, actually, I just hit my 20 years of service. So and it's an exciting time for me and my family as well. Are you in a department where you can retire at 20, or do you have to go to 25? Actually, I am on a department. I can retire at 20. Yes, sir. Oh, you're a short-timer where, like, <laughs> don't mess with me. I can leave all my papers in today. There you go. <laughs> that was what we always called freedom back in the day. Or like we're so jealous uh, of the guys or old timers. We're going to talk about some serious things for people that don't know. Sergeant Lowe was ambushed and shot in a totally unprovoked attack. When was that? It, uh, actually, it actually was July 2015, July 14th of 2015 to be exact. And I saw videos of it. We're going to try to get copies of video. I, I think it was from a surveillance camera in mm-hmm. the area and these sort of things happen so fast they almost seem yes. to come out of nowhere 
we're going to talk about your shooting in depth in a moment but one of the things that i do know about you is this is inspired you to do some things to try to help injured law enforcement officers injured first responders and people of all walks of life who have been injured by acts of violence correct yes absolutely and what's the name of your organization the name of the organization is project hurt h-u-r-t and the hurt stands for healing uplift restore and transition and where can people get more information about project hurt we have a website, uh, projecthurt.org, O-R-G. And we're also very uh, active on Facebook as well. And is that just look for Project Hurt on Facebook? Absolutely. Yes, sir. All right. We'll talk more about that later on because they're doing some pretty outstanding things that you don't want to miss. I want to go back to was it 2015. You have been on the job, I guess, at that point, probably about 15 years, somewhere around that. Correct. About 15 to 16 years at that point. Correct. So you're by no stretch a rookie. When you've been on the job and policing for a long time in a, in a major department, you've seen pretty much everything by that point. And it's kind of hard to, for people to launch an unprovoked surprise attack on you, isn't it? I would like to think so. But like I say, sometimes things beyond our control. Yeah. I, that's exactly the point I was getting at is no matter how good you are, no matter how much experience you have, no matter how much training you do, things are going to pop up that you would totally unexpect. And at least for me, when they happen to me, it's like, I, I can't believe this is happening. Correct. It definitely was a moment of uh, surreal. Like, did this really just happen? Or am I going through this? And like you say, it happened so fast. And I definitely was in the tunnel vision and the slow motion. And all that played out in my head is, that things happened. What was happening? It was nighttime, I believe. Yes, it was. It literally was like 4.30 in the morning. Kind of to set the tone. I, I had previously worked a regular police department shift. I got over 2 in the morning then, and then I went straight to my extra duty or, or secondary, as we call it in our area. And uh, the premise of the overtime or secondary or, or a moonlighting, if you will, is to hang out in this neighborhood. It's an entertainment district in the, in the Midwest, Missouri. A lot of bars, clubs, restaurants, etc. And pretty much the premise is to make sure these businesses don't get messed with. Most of the businesses have glass fronts. So in the past, people have, you know, thrown glass and, you know, thrown things to, to damage a lot of property and, and burglarize these places. So they hire all through the policemen to hang out up there and keep all these evildoers away. And that's something that we did in Baltimore, too, that was sanctioned by the city. They knew about it. They had to have the permission of the city and the department. And it was all on the up and up. It wasn't something that was done underhanded or on the slide. No, correct, correct. No, it's something we, we, we sign up for through the department. And then you kind of, like, put your hours in, do a schedule, if you will, and you go get your hours from there. Were you in uniform at the time? Yes, sir. Full uniform. And were you in a departmental vehicle, or were you, like, standing on the street, or what were you doing? So actually, it was in my personal vehicle, uh, but there was uh, moments where I would have to do, we call it, like, doing a round. So I make sure all the doors were locked, and I was in, the back of the, in the back of the area I was in, it was a patio area, I had to secure all, all, kind of, all of that little area, or premises, if you will. And then uh, once I secure it, you pretty much kind of stay awake at that point, because it's pretty... Up until that point, it was a pretty lame secondary, right? It's just an mm-hmm. easy way to make extra money, but you there for a good purpose. And so the toughest part of that, that extra duty really was staying awake oh. at that time of morning. 
I got memories of midnight shift. I hated midnight shift. What even when I was a rookie, just trying, and it was so non. It was like nonstop busy. Then all of a sudden, someone flipped a switch, and it went to absolute dead quiet. And yes. then the closer you get yes. to six a.m., it's like the harder it is to stay to stay awake. Correct. Absolutely. They tell you a really quick story. I was driving a police car, getting ready to head back to our district, uh, working the midnight shift, and first vehicle at a red light. And you know how when you fall asleep, you sometimes hear sounds in the background and you incorporate them in your dreams? Yeah. Well, apparently I fell asleep at the red light in the police car and the light had turned green and people were blowing a horn at me to, to move. And some guy came and rapped on the window like, are you okay? I was like, what? What? It, it was the hardest thing in the world staying awake. Yes, absolutely. And some people thrived on it. I always found it difficult. So you were in a quiet neighborhood once things shut down, you're basically keeping an eye on all the businesses, banking, I'm sure everything is secure and quiet and nothing bad going on. And it's not an environment where you'd expect something violent to happen, correct? No, no. Like I say, in this particular neighborhood uh, that this happened in, actually is some of the, the, the wealthiest and, and more well-to-do individuals that live in this particular neighborhood. So it's by far a far cry from uh, anything that I would expect uh for this, this type of activity to happen. Let me just say that. And that goes to a point that I often tell people. Uh, as a matter of fact, I saw someone post something on, on Facebook today, and they're talking about Chicago, and they're talking about how not all of Chicago's violent. There's some very, very nice neighborhoods. And I really mm-hmm. wanted to reply back to them, yeah, it's a nice neighborhood, but you forget violent criminals steal cars, and they go to nice yeah. neighborhoods. So really, you could be in a really nice neighborhood, a crime-free neighborhood, and you could be in a fight for your life within a matter of moments. Absolutely. And what happens, you know, here in Missouri, uh, especially in my department, a lot of neighborhoods become um, kind of property-rich environments for those that want to kind of uh, make it easy, uh, like you say, steal a car, do a burglary, unfortunately try to rob somebody, stuff like that. So our presence in these entertainment districts or areas are really high because it is a property-rich environment. And sometimes people, people... You're really comfortable, kind of, and kind of let that guard down. They won't lock their doors. Leave their purses in the car, stuff like this. And so, as a police department, that really makes our job a little harder sometimes to, to keep people safe when people aren't doing all the great safety measures all the time. Well, a lot of times people think it's not going to happen to me. I'm in a great neighborhood, or I'm in a tourist environment where a lot of tourists yeah. go, and they have no idea. And you use a great term, Charles, is that a target-rich environment. If one thing I've learned even through nature and watching documentaries, Mm -hmm. even the biggest predators, the strongest predators, let's use a lion as an example, they wait for the gazelle, the impala, that's got a little bit of a limp. They look for the the prey that's going to least likely put up a fight that they get the most reward from because the slightest chance of injury can be death for them. Uh, And it's not... Much different with human beings. When you have people who are looking for easy targets that are violent people, everybody is potential prey. We're going to take a short break. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're talking with Sergeant Charles Lowe about the night he was ambushed and shot. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. 
The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Return to our conversation with Sergeant Charles Lowe, calling us from Missouri. He was shot in an ambush attack while working secondary employment or secondary duty as a uniformed police officer. The night this happened, or I should say early morning, we're talking, what, right around 4 o'clock in the morning time frame? Correct, Jack. Actually, it was about 4.30 in the morning. And really nothing is happening at that time. It's it's a dead time pretty much everywhere. Yes. It was. It got pretty uh, slow, if you will. And uh, like I say, pretty much I'm just literally almost watching the grass grow at this point. But in the neighborhood, just kind of, just kind of sitting there. So you're sitting there in, in your personal car, in uniform, keep an eye on these businesses in this entertainment district of the area where you work as a police sergeant and what happened next? So I see two guys standing on a corner uh, maybe 60 to 80 feet from where I was parked. Uh, now I'm sitting there in the middle of this, this uh, entertainment district. I'm in the middle of the street parked right in front of the fire hydrant across the street from the glass front businesses. So about 80, 60 to 80 feet from me, just to the east of me, I see two guys standing on the corner right next to one of the uh, the bars. Uh, now, they really weren't paying particular attention to me, but they did kind of glance over at me. Mm-hmm. So if you, you got to put your mind in a time frame. So this is July 2015. This is about 10 months after Ferguson. So community relations with people were, were still pretty tense. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people were still very confrontational. If you just even ask them a question, like, you know, what's your pedigree information? A lot of aggression. And so it's 4.30 in the morning. I see these two guys standing there. And I look over at me. They continue talking. Uh, then literally as soon as I saw them, every hair on my body stood up and I had goosebumps. And I got all this anxiety in my head and stomach about it. my stomach. And I can't figure out why I feel so basically anxiety-filled about their presence. I'm just looking at them. I they were giving off those vibes, right, where you, it's making the radar, the alarm bells go off in your head. Something's not right with these cats. Yes, exactly. All all the warning signs going off, but I don't know what I'm looking at yet. Because right now it's just two guys sitting on the corner, so I'm I'm scratching my head like, when I'm having this this overwhelming feeling, right? And so the guys continue talking, maybe another fifteen twenty seconds. Then they walk down the street, they make a right, and just go off in the darkness. And so my anxiety went down for a second. As soon as they went off in the darkness, what couldn't see them anymore. I literally heard the voice of God say, "Put your vest back on." So in July. In July 2015, like many cities, 
around Missouri and around the United States, it's very hot and humid. And even like this particular night, it had to be like 90 degrees this night. You know, it was 4 in the morning. It was just a hot, muggy night, hot, muggy day. And like I said, I just was hot in my, in my uniform. I already worked a, a, a long shift with the police department. Like I said, got out there and came straight here. At this point, I just want some relief. Oh, I don't. I, I don't blame you at all. It was one of the worst things in the world wearing that that soft body armor, and in the summertime it gets so hot and smelly. It and it comes right up from under your shirt. It it's, yes. it's like I, I could not wait to take that thing off, and it was almost like a, a mental undressing for me, transitioning to husband father mode. When you took the Velcro, yes. the soft body armor, okay, I can change my mindset a little bit. So I can see that you want to take it off when you have a chance. and But something, you said, God told you, let's put this yes. back on. Let's not waste time. Something's not right here. Correct. So I, back then I had an outside vest cover. So now my, my vest is, is in the patch of my car. So I'm looking at my vest like, why did I, have, why did I just hear that, right? So now I'm, I'm battling with God. like, why do you put my vest back on? So like, like a spoiled little kid, I laugh myself down. I'm like, all right, God, I put it back on. Just leave me alone, right? So I put my vest back on, sat back on, and literally five minutes later, I see the same two guys standing in the corner, but they're now they're backing to me and they're looking up the street. But, it's, but I can't see what they're looking at because my, my, my view is blocked by the building. So at about five or ten seconds, they group by a third uh, male that comes down, kind of kind of walks down to them, and they kind of greet each other. They kind of glance over at me. Once again, the anxiety came back. Butterflies in my stomach came back. So now I'm sitting up in my in my front seat of my car. I didn't get out. I was sitting up in my car trying to figure out what am I looking at? Because anxiety came back and it's, it's, a, it's on high. Like, I'm on red alert right now. I'm just looking at them. There's just three uh, black males sitting on the corner just standing there. Nothing particular about them just standing there. They continue talking maybe another 15, 20 seconds and walk down the street again and actually turn up the block. And so relations being so, so tense back back then, like say 10 months after Ferguson, my mindset for a second was to get out of the car and ask the guys, hey, you look for the bus stop or, well, you know, you guys, you need help, I see you circling the block. But I, I thought about, you know what, I don't feel like aggression. Right. I don't feel like hearing, officer, why are you harassing us? We heard that so much oh, back then. Oh, and, yeah, it was nonstop. Yeah, and, 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 and literally, you know, the area I'm in is less than five miles from Ferguson, right? So, it was still very tense. So I was like, you know what? I just don't be adversary tonight. So I was gonna let them let them be, let them figure out where they need to go. I don't know if that'll change anything, but I kind of think about that as it played some of the things played out in my head. And, but and so the, they, the whole time, people understand you're in you're in your personal vehicle, but you're in your police uniform. Yes, and absolutely. people can see that you're in your police uniform. I mean, it wouldn't be a great mystery, would it? Correct. Not only were, were my lights on, my front lights, but I was right underneath a street light. I didn't. My car didn't have tinted windows, and so my uniform and everything was full of food to be seen by anybody that wanted to look. I wasn't hiding uh, anything about me that night. I don't find this unusual at all, but I might try to talk to people who've never been in police work and, and say... 
there's something about these guys' behavior that made my police instincts raise the alarm bells in my head if something wasn't right. I can't quite explain it. But when I talk to other police and they say, yeah, I know exactly what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's not, it's not, people love to go and, oh, it's racial profiling. It's this, is that. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got something to do with the people's behavior and the way Correct. they carry it. You know what it is a lot of times, Charles? It's the way they won't look at you. That's a true story. You know, because yes, when you're, you're police in uniform, people love to like, we called it signify back in the day they love the knowledge you and say hey you know what's going on or you ain't nothing yeah. or whatever right when they purposely do their best not to look at you or almost make it look like they're looking at you sideways that's like a big red flag yes and i don't know what they were doing but my body reacted to presence immediately and it reacted so like i say so strongly i knew i didn't even know what i was looking at quite yet because not like they had a gun in their hand you know, they didn't have cop killer shirts and underwear, giant pants, t-shirts, and shorts. Like that's all I'm looking at. So I'm just trying to see or try to figure out at that point what the heck is going on. And by the way, criminals don't wear signs that say, "Hey, I'm a criminal. I'm a drug dealer." <laughs> well, the back of the day, a lot of them wear outfits that only drug dealers wear. We made it easier. Yeah. And, and drive a vehicle that no one else can afford in the neighborhood, but they got it. So, but everybody else, especially people who are doing street crime, don't want their presence known. Again, we go back to the predator and prey. When they're yeah. trying to size up potential prey, they do not want to alert people that they are planning violence. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today show, never fear. You can listen to them online. Just go to our website lawenforcementtoday.com or download our free app also available on our website that's lawenforcementtoday.com back to our conversation with sergeant charles Lowe, police sergeant charles Lowe, back in 2015 uh, ambushed and shot in a totally unprovoked attack uh, charles you're talking about all the setup and all the things about these guys behavior time place location the way they're carrying themselves that the alarm bells are going off your head and you heard what you described as the voice of God saying, put your soft body armor on, put your vest on. And you yes. did. Thankfully I did. Yes, sir. So what happened next? So after the guys kind of circled the block twice, after the second time, like I say, after, after the first time I put my vest on, and it circled me the second time, I still stayed in my car. I just tried to process why I got, why I was anxiety about the presence. All of a sudden, maybe Five minutes after the same time I saw these guys, I see a four-door Ford comes off the street that they were standing by. It's coming my direction. Uh, I'm not alone by the car in particular. I actually kind of laughed at the car because as, as the car got closer to me, the, the car kind of jerked like it was a stick shift. Like somebody had missed, missed a clutch, like it was jerking. And I remember looking at the car kind of laughed like, <laughs> some guy missed some guy sleep, missed a clutch, right? Then all of a sudden, this car, which I thought would just drive past like all the other cars do, you know, in, the, in, in doing this extra duty, also, out in front of me. 
So now I sit up in front of my car like, what's going on? So my first thought was, I'm in the entertainment this shit. Uh, you know, the reality is there's a lot of, you know, yuppies. I actually thought a yuppie was going to call and ask for directions. Yep. Or ask, like a really silly question. Like, yep. you know, those are law enforcement. Sometimes people ask you crazy questions at different times. That's actually what I thought. But then I was alone by even more guys like, if you just want to ask me a question, why don't you pull alongside of me? I was the only car on the whole street, on that side of the street. Why don't you just pull alongside of me? Why don't you block me in? And I can't see inside their vehicle yet because they have tinted windows. So now my all the the goose bumps are out. All my, my hands on my, my 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 hands on the top of my holster. I'm just trying to process all of this. I'm looking at. So finally, their passenger door swings open. Their don't light comes on. And now I finally can see inside the vehicle. I look over the passenger. The passenger had uh, face and body turned away from me. Uh, only thing I recognize of the passenger is the silhouette of his clothing, which matched one of the guys that was just standing on the street. I look at the two guys in the back seat, which sort of the same two guys I just saw with the, the guy in the passenger seat, the three guys that were just standing out there five minutes before. I kind of scan over the driver. The driver is kind of looking behind the, the new seat at me. And the only thing I think in my head is, well, who the heck is that guy? But he turns his head real fast, like he doesn't want to look at me. Right. So I, when I glance back over the, the passenger, like, what the heck is this problem? By the time I glance back over the passenger, the passenger starts to turn his head toward me. As he turned his head toward me, uh, I realized he has a bandana, a black bandana wrapped around his face. As his hand gets out of the car, his hand, his right hand drops. He has a gun in his hand. He immediately starts shooting. Either his first or second shot hit me on the right side of my chest. I knew I was shot. So at that point, I, I immediately start praying. In my head, uh, it felt like my there was molasses between my gun and the holster. It felt like it took forever to get me to a raised pistol. So I finally get my gun out. He's in the middle of my car now. I know I'm hit. At this point, I'm like, I'm praying to God to keep me alert during this gunfight and, and to keep me alive. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I don't think I'm thinking about it at this point is my son, who in July after 15, was 19 months old. So I'm thinking, God, keep me kind during this gunfight because if I die, that's your will, God. My son won't even remember me. So I'm praying. Keep me alive doing this. So he, as, as he's shooting at me, I realize a couple of things as I'm praying, and I'm still shooting at him. I don't know if my rounds will even penetrate my windshield, but I know his rounds are coming in. So I'm like, I, I, I got to do something. So I'm just shooting through my, my, my front windshield at, at, at the suspect at this point. He's sliding over to my left. So at this point, he start off on my passenger side of my car, but he's sliding over to my driver's side. And the only thing I'm thinking is, He's coming around and give me a headshot. He's going to ride to my driver's side. So I'm like, all right. So I'm doing everything at this point. I the thought take came to head. you that this guy is, is not just shooting at you. He's he's moving towards trying to kill you to a kill shot. Yes, absolutely. And that's a, that's uh, a, a, a startling feeling and revelation. We always say, and people say, when you hear police say, I, I feared that this, I feared I for, my for my life. life. Yeah. And there's only no other way to describe it. When you get the realization this this person's actually trying to murder you, that's the yes. only way you can describe it. I can't. I've never found another term that fits that. And this was me this particular night. Yes, it was. So I'm processing all of this. I realize he's sliding over. So now he's perpendicular to me. He's literally standing right above my hood, still shooting at me. 
and I'm trying to figure out. Does, I'm shooting at him, but it seems like my, my rounds are even hitting him or, or even affecting him. So one point where I'm shooting at him, doing my shooting fire, he kind of ducks down. When he pops back up, things are moving in so slow motion. His bad, I see his bandana fall off his face when he pops back up. And so I'm like, all right, I see his face. I remember I was taking a, like a snapshot of that moment when the bandana fell off his face. The only thing I think about is, God, keep me kind this long enough so I can tell the truth what this guy looks like. Right. The only thing I'm thinking about. And so he starts to I start, continue shooting at him. He starts to run off a little bit. As he's running off, I'm like, oh, good, finally he stops shooting at me. But as he, he runs off, he, he lets off one more round kind of over his shoulder. And he continues to run off as he's shooting. As he does this, I, I'm so hyper-vigilant of everything that's going on right now. I can see the round on projectile leave his, leave his gun. And, and it's coming right to my driver's side window. Besides the video of my, my shooting, I also have some of the still photos from each of you. And you can see the round that hit my driver's side window. I'm looking at this round, hit my coming toward me, and I'm, I'm thinking to God, all right, God, this is my headshot. All right, protect me, God. I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm like, all right, God. I'm preparing for impact. As I watch the round hit the glass on my driver's side window, and by the grace of God, it made a strange left turn, and all of a sudden, ended up hitting the, the front molding of the inside of my car. It made a crazy right, I mean, a crazy left turn. And to this day, I still can't explain it, but I do thank God every day that that bullet didn't continue straight. Because right? that would have been a headshot. Yes, it would have been. And you already shot at this point. Yes, I was shot on the right side of my chest. One of the things you talked about in this attack, and I've heard this from so many people, and I can tell you in my own scenarios, situations of deadly force where people are shooting at you, time for me totally slowed down. It's like a time yeah. warp. And I didn't hear things uh, in the background the way I should. Um, and I didn't focus on anything else but the, the threat. You could have had the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders marching to my right and I'd have no idea because I was so focused on the imminent threat. But one of the things you said, Charles, that, that really hit home for me is these like real quick little tiny pocket prayers. I don't know how to describe them in the way. And yes. uh, if people had any idea how often I prayed in a patrol car, the worst is like preparing to go to on, on uh drug raids or, or search and seizure yeah. warrants where you know there's potential for violence. That was always a lengthy prayer. But when bad stuff was happening, when stuff hit the fan, it was a real quick, God help me. Yes. And I can't describe why, but you just know that this is a bad situation. Correct. Absolutely. So this guy has shot at you about how many times at this point? So at this point, um, including his last shot that you ran off, he shot at me six times. That's a that's an awful lot. And by the way, and I don't have the exact statistics, but for the majority of police-involved shootings or officer-involved shootings is the term they use, they're within five to seven feet, and they're over with in two or three seconds. Yes. So to have someone in a prolonged gunfight, and yes, six, 10, 15, 20 seconds is a, an eternity in a gunfight. Yes, uh, we're talking with Police Sergeant Charles Lowe, Talking about the night he was ambushed and shot in an unprovoked attack. This is a Law Enforcement Today show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today show, 
Never fear. You can listen to them online. Just go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, or download our free app, also available on our website. That's lawenforcementtoday.com. See you there. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. I'm John J. Wiley, joined on the phone with Police Sergeant Charles Lowe. To recap, if you're just joining us, he was ambushed and shot in an unprovoked attack in Missouri in 2015. When we left before the break, Charles, you talked about six shots being fired by him and that you weren't sure you're, and that's a common theme for us, that your gun doesn't work or the bullets aren't hitting them or what, I don't know if I'm hitting bricks in the background or what I'm doing. At least that was for me. The guy took off. What did you do at that point? So basically what I did at that point, I'm just trying to process all the stuff in my head. I remember putting the car in drive. I remember uh, literally driving the car with my knees. Uh, I had with my other left hand, I was talking to the dispatcher on my miniature radio. I told the dispatcher I was shot, told him my location, I told the dispatcher, you know, what was going on. And so when the shooting started, like I said, my windows were rolled up. So it was a loud, loud ring in my ear. So it, it, the dispatcher literally sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher, like walk, 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 walk. And so I knew officers were in route because I could hear them key up from time to time in between the pauses of the dispatcher. But I couldn't understand what they were saying either. I just knew somebody was around. So I followed behind the the, uh, the individual that shot me, maybe about a half a block. He ended up ducking off in a parking garage. And so I ended up driving back around the, the, the neighborhood, looking for the, the car that the other three guys are in. By the time I drove back, they all were gone. And so literally, uh, I got out the car. I looked to the west of my, my location where the shooting started. And eight police cars, EMS, all showed at the exact same time. And so first... Said the officer wrote, ran, ran up to him and said, hey, where'd he go? I said, hey, I think he's in a parking garage. Next to the officer said, hey, soldier, he shot. I literally take off all my, my equipment, take off my vest, my shirt, my duty belt, kind of on the hokey pokey in the middle of the street. Yep. EMS officers kind of had a flashlights out. Said, Sarge, where you shot? I don't know. I, I think I'm hit somewhere. I hear one officer say, hey, Sarge, I see, I see blood. So I look down on the right, the right side, and it's kind of blood kind of trickling down. I look at EMS, and I, I said, and like, I don't know what they're supposed to look what look or feel like, right? And EMS says, I look at it for a second, and like, I don't know, but you're going to the hospital, right? Because I see the blood. Uh, so I kind of walked, kind of took a side step right back where my equipment was at, and I see my vest. It's hard to describe, but the top part of my vest almost looks like a, a crumbled up sheet of paper. It's really hard to describe. And so I'm looking at my vest like, hell? So I kind of straighten my vest out a little bit, and then I straighten it out. I see a gold round sitting in the back of the vest, right? So I put the vest down. I look up, look up at everybody. I said, wow, I think my, my vest took the round. Everybody turned white as ghost, right? So I didn't know if I was dead or alive. By the grace of God, like I say, that round did hit the vest. The x-rays were negative, and literally within an hour of me getting shot, I was at home watching news clips of what had happened to me. And it's still in my head. was still surreal, like, why is this happening? All these things were, were in my head. To play the next 
10 to 12 days out, you know, uh, I've been to other shootings, and I remember telling my wife, like, you know, just give me some time, the process will happen. Right. And and uh, my wife's very patient. Like I say, she's been a, a, a veteran, a spouse, if you will. At that point, you know, uh, 16 plus years, almost 16 years on the police department. So she said, okay. But, you know, those that know my wife, she'd be very direct. So maybe about 10, 12 days after my shooting, wife comes to me uh, and says, hey, let's go back to the neighborhood where we got, got shot because there's a, there's a dessert place we like to go to. And we used to go there, we used to frequent this dessert place before. And so, you know, this place right now is not, not a good place for me. So I'm like, no, I don't, I don't go back there, right? So she comes back a little bit later and says, hey, I bet your son loves love to go back to the neighborhood and hang out by that water fountain. And that water fountain is like 40 feet from where I got shot. So I'm like, no, Kelly, that's not a, I don't think I feel good about that, right? So literally, she comes back the later in the day, same day, like, hey, how about you just drive me to get some desserts, some cupcakes, and then we'll get out of there real fast. And, and, so, and really, this I, I know your wife. This had yeah. nothing to do with the cupcakes or dessert. Had no, nothing to do with that. It was about getting you back on a saddle, so to speak. Yes. And I didn't know it at the time. I thought my wife was tripping. I was like, why is she so persistent about getting these dang cupcakes? I don't mean, but I must admit, when she gave me the last idea just driving up there, I'm like, the fat kid and me kind of wanted some cupcakes, right? So I'm like... <laughs> Right now, I'm craving cupcakes. You're killing me. Yeah. You gotta stop talking about it. <laughs> so we, we go up there, uh, and, and, and usually you run in, run out, literally gone in like 90 seconds. And so this particular day, uh, real fast, um, the cupcake place was packed. like 20 people in there. So my wife looks at me. She must have to turn in my face. She says, I swear I'll be right back, right? So I'm sitting there with my son in the car. He's strapped in the back. I sit in the car about two minutes. The anxiety is getting so high, I just can't do it. I grabbed my son, we kind of walk around just a little bit. Uh, I had to walk through the water fountain where, 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 where my wife had mentioned. I didn't think I could do it. The water fountain literally is like 40 feet from where I got shot. So I, I remember playing with my son there for, for like a, literally a minute and kind of looking over in the area where I got shot. And my anxiety just getting higher and higher. I'm sort of sweat. I'm like, okay, I, I can't do this, right? So I grabbed my son, 19 months, walk back to the car. I sat with me as I'm walking back to the driver's side. Wife's coming out with the cupcake. She holds up to the seat. We can get out of here, right? So it's starting to get dark in this particular neighborhood. And she's driving down the street with the lights on. Another car wants my spot, so they put their blink on, take my spot. I'm in the entertainment area, so people are walking in front of my car and behind my car and the side of my car. I literally feel like the whole world's coming on top of me, and I lost it. I remember screaming at the top of my lungs. And to this day, I have no idea what I was screaming about. All that I remember is my wife touching my shoulder, saying, Charles, what are you doing? Your son's in this car. I turn around. My son's crying profusely. I felt like the size of an ant. I felt like nothing. All that I remember doing is looking at my wife and I asked her, what just happened? My wife looked at me in my eye. She says, I know what happened. You need to talk to somebody. And at that point, I didn't know if I was coming back to the police department or not. Yeah. I didn't know if I could physically, mentally do it. But I knew for my family, I had to talk to somebody to get some help. Because I couldn't keep having these outbursts anymore. And that's what they wound up being for me. It, it seemed to someone on the outside that I had become, like almost overnight, a very angry person. And it wasn't that at all. It wasn't it anger. Was it was... Uh, 
when this uncontrolled adrenaline is going on, it's just like I'm trying to stop the whole world so I can just breathe a little bit. Correct. Absolutely. Uh, but I got some help, talked to some stress coaches, talked to some trauma counselors. Uh, and I told my wife while all this was going on, I started reaching out to other officers that I knew had been involved in shooting. And I felt my best when I first started talking to them in a kind of a peer support setting. Emotionally, they told me things that I felt. So I'm like, oh my God, And so I no, I no longer had the idea like I was going crazy or I, I was having these, these isolated feelings for no reason. And it kind of birthed the Project Hurt. And uh, what came out of that, about 14 months after, I, after my shooting, another sergeant that I worked with got, actually got ambushed and shot in the face twice, and he survived. And uh, we, I started talking to him. I told him things he would experience, and sure stuff happened. He would call me come every couple of days saying, oh, my God, you said that would happen, and it happened. Yeah. And so we were like, how do we, how do we get on a path to talk to other officers outside the police department in the principal setting? And that was the birth of Project Hurt, a principal group for wounded and injured officers and officers dealing with cumulative stress. And that, that's something that was so needed is for us to just talk to each other and say, are you all right? Because I wasn't always all right. And here's what happened to me. And here's what I had to do. And here's how where I'm at today. Would you describe your life today as okay or uh, still bothered? Or, or what term would you use? So I would consider my, 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 my life or my term blessed. I was actually able to come back to work about four or five months after my shooting. Uh, I know a lot of officers are not physically or mentally able to come back. So I do thank God for putting me in a good place to come back to work. Like I said, I now have 20 years old in my police department and, and, and making plans for retirement, hopefully in the next five to eight years. I hope to hear. I can't wait to hear about your retirement. Before we leave, uh, Sergeant Lowe, give people your website address one more time to get more information. ProjectHurtHurt.org. O-R-G. And you're also on Facebook. Just do a search for Project Hurt, H-U-R-T. We're going to have to have you back on the show later on uh, another day because I know there's so many things you're doing with Project Hurt, uh, with other law enforcement officers in the community. I want to thank you so much for telling your story to us today. It's very much appreciated. Absolutely. Thank you so much. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. We've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.